Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up, a podcast about books, writers, life, and love, and all things literary. Hello, everyone. We have the best episode for you today, and that's because we have a return podcast. It's Jamie Attenberg, who's the author of The Middlesteins, Instant Love, The Kept Man, The Melting Season, and St. Maisie. And Emily and I had an amazing chat with her about St. Maisie, so you can go back and listen to that. Jamie has written for the New York Times, and she wrote a beautiful uh, essay in Lenny about dividing her time between Brooklyn and New Orleans. She's written kind of all over, so um, go find her other work. But today we are here to talk about this very much button-pushing novel called All Grown Up. I hope you enjoy this episode. I had quite a few revelations while we were chatting, and I hope you do too. You're in art school. You hate it. You drop out. You move to New York City. For most people, moving to New York City is a gesture of ambition. But for you, it signifies failure because you grew up there. So it just means you're moving back home after you couldn't make it in the world. Spiritually, it's a reverse commute. For a while, you live downtown with your brother and his girlfriend in a small spare room. Your bed jammed between shoe racks and a few of your brother's guitars and cases, plus a wall of books from his girlfriend's undergraduate days at Brown. You get a job via same girlfriend. You don't hate the job and you don't love the job, but you can't sniff at a hard day's work because you are no better than anyone else, and in some ways you are much, much worse. You acknowledge your privilege and you get to work. You start making money. You find a small, dusty, crumbling loft in a shitty waterfront neighborhood in Brooklyn. It has one floor-to-ceiling window, a tiny Empire State building in the distance framed beautifully within it. Now you are home. Everyone in your life breathes easier. She's safe now, they all think. At no point does anyone say to you, so you stopped making art? It is because they don't want to know the answer or they don't care or they are scared to ask you because you scare them. Whatever the case, everyone is complicit in this, this new non-art-making phase of your life, even though it was the thing you loved most in the world. Thanks. Hello, Jamie. Welcome. So unlike Andrea, you always knew you wanted to be a writer. When, how early did you know and then why... Was this character important to you, someone who hadn't found... Well, she... Someone who'd found their thing but then didn't commit to it. Right. Um, You know, I started writing really when I was a small child, when I was five or six, and it was always the thing that I was best at, and I was, um, you know, a writer in school, and I was editor of my high school paper, and I I went to school for creative writing, and it was just the thing that I loved and that I knew I was good at it, and it was kind of this... The thing that I could offer the world... Um, and I, and even when I wasn't doing it or I wasn't as focused on it as a career, it was still this thing that just lived within me. Um, and, uh, and I've worked in environments where I've been around people who had that thing in them and sort of tampered it down somewhat. And they just didn't, you know, I, often I was in like a, a work situation cause I did copywriting from time to time where somebody would say, you're a real writer. I'm a fake writer. And I'm like, oh my God, that is just such a, uh, a scare, like a really intense thing that you just said to me, you know, that you, you aren't that person anymore, that you were at once and you somehow gave, gave it up. So I think that I have had that kind of conversation and experience before. But also it's just, uh, you know, it's not really an, an alternate universe kind of thing for me because she's not, 
she's not me and our lives are so different, but it is, um, it is a worst nightmare kind of scenario because this is the thing that I love the most, you know, the writing. Yeah. And what happens, I think so many people I know and friends I love, even doing this podcast, they're like, you should keep doing that thing because you found mm. the kernel. Like, don't give it up because you're freaked out and scared yeah. <laughs> and need stability. And I'm like, but how do I, how do we live? Right. How do we, I, yeah, that is a really hard question. I mean, I've been broke, really, really broke in my life um, and, and stuck with it, but had, have had a lot of like, you know, come to God kind of moments and conversations with myself and with family members and with friends where it's, you're just so scared and so terrified. But it is, um, I mean, it is the thing that gives me the most joy. If you can find something that you love to do, you're really lucky. You're really, really lucky. Yeah. Well, and that's what it feels like. A lot of the characters in the book, one of, I mean, Andrea's mother is one of my favorite characters. And it feels there's a really amazing conversation that they have with one another. I'm kind of going to a new topic here, but about feminism and how much, you know, her generation, they had to fight for, to kind of learn to be alone and that that was an okay thing to do. Yeah. Versus she is given all that opportunity, not really knowing that it is an opportunity. That's right. Yeah. I wanted to create a character who didn't um, feel like she had to be, she had to be married and, and she had to have kids. And she sort of has like an incredible agency and freedom in this book. And, and what she, you know, and what do you do with that freedom and what do you do with that agency? And I, you know, I wanted to see what that character looked like. Uh, somebody who didn't hear the voices in her head of, you must get married, you must follow this, this very traditional path and see what she did with that. Now she sort of, you know, it's very complicated for her because she doesn't um, always do the right thing. She, you know, she is, um, she does do so, engage in some self-destructive behavior, um, but that's not about the freedoms that she has, that's about her past and the people around her and the things that she's experienced in her life. But I don't know, I think, um, yeah, I really loved the mother character, too. I think that was my favorite character. Um, I have scenes that I just wrote of the two of them talking that I never even used in the book. And there's um, the one scene that I would write uh, that I haven't written uh, came after the fact, which is, like, I'd lo I would have loved to have sent the two of them to the Women's March together. Oh, my god! And just, like, have, like, her mother staying up all night, like, knitting her a hat, and then Andrea being like, do I have to wear this hat? Like, it's pink. Like, because <laughs> she wears all black all the time, and it doesn't look cool. And um, I could just see them, like, marching endlessly together forever and just having the two of them banter and talk about feminism and life. And So there's a... I mean, I laugh so much when it's so poignant with the mom as well, but there's a point where Andrea is texting a friend and she says, my mother is trying to murder me with her emotions. Please send help. Yeah. <laughs> and it just reminded me of... Um, there's also a point where they have this, she's kind of reckoning with the situations that her mom put her in as a child like or as a teenager, kind of like not particularly dangerous but around men she didn't know that, that shaped um, her in a way. And then there's a point where she's like, maybe I could just forgive my mom. Yeah. And it feels like this real release. Mm. When did that come to her and why and like how do you think that is for us women like I feel as brilliant as our moms were as as much as they struggled we all have this moment where we're like maybe we can just like let love it go. Yeah, yeah, yeah let go just let it go I know I just actually have been working on this essay um about my mother which is like I love my mother and so I don't want to like you know ever I I always show her everything that I write about her in advance and I don't want her to ever feel bad about something that I, I've written because I, because people don't really sign, you know, you give birth to a child, you yeah. don't really sign up for your child to write garbage about you, you know, on the internet or in a newspaper or whatever it's going to be. But I was, t it was this, um, part of it was about how uh, we went to go when I was like 12 or 13 to go buy makeup for the first time and my mom's mom died when she was really young and so she never taught her 
about makeup. She never had that kind of traditional. And, and you know, this was like in the 1950s and 60s, so it's a very traditional um, gender roles that I'm talking about here. And so, and my mom just never was interested in wearing makeup. And so she was like, all right, I'll just take you to like, you know, the mall and someone will show you how to do it. And this was the eighties. So like everybody just wanted to look like Madonna. So there was like, yes. it's just like tons of like this woman at the, you know, makeup counter, like just put like all this like incredible, complicated geometric eye makeup, like on all over this 12 year old face and I like got into the car afterwards and cried and it was like oh. this really traumatic experience for me and I'm, and to this day I don't really wear a lot of makeup um but uh I was emailing my mom about it. I was like oh I want to I want to write about it. do you remember that do you remember that moment and she said all I can tell you is being a mother is hard <laughs> and like I was like okay like oh. I should I'm like I'm not giving you you know shit about it right like I'm just like I just want to like understand it and you know it ended up being like this great conversation about it so it's um, the, I do think it's important to just stop blaming people. Mm-hmm. Then, then that I think is probably one of the like more grown up moments in the book. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just the the things that I can pinpoint in this book where I feel like she's growing up a little bit might not be as obvious to the reader, but for me, I'm like, oh, this is her. This is a moment. This is a moment. This is a moment. And those are all things. Forgiving your parents is like an incredibly adult thing. Like having a baby is is to me. I mean, it's important, but it doesn't mean that you're an adult, right? It's not an adult step necessarily that you're taking because anybody could have a baby. But um, forgiving your parents and moving on your life, to me, feels really grown up. Well, and talking about those moments in the book where she learns and has a revelation, they come, you know, all over. Like when she's drunk, when after she's just had sex. Um, I guess let's talk about the sex in the book because it's so wonderful. It's so real and there's so many... But so bad. But so bad <laughs> and varied kinds. And there's one that I... Um, the She goes to a dinner party and she meets the man who's just come out of a divorce. Yeah. And he has a kid. And they have sex. And you describe it as... Like it's like this pounding, <laughs> like he's trying to kill her with his penis, basically. Murder her with his murder penis. Her, murder yeah, with his penis. Yeah, and yeah. there was this moment that reminded me of a conversation I had with Sarah Heppler about... Like, Being murdered by a dick? Well, <laughs> in some sense. Yeah. But also seeing a man look in the mirror at themselves as they're having sex. Like this vanity thing oh, yeah. that's all about them and not... And she has a moment where she realises... Like, this is just not about her. Right. It's pornographic. Yeah. It feels pornographic. And yet... Which is not inherently a bad thing, but... No, yeah. no. Yeah. And yet she she hates him and desires him at the same mm-hmm. time. And it feels like in her there is this struggle of kind of having all these desires and then hating herself a bit. Right. What was that... Was there a sense of self-loathing in what she does that she has to grow out of? Or do you think we keep making those mistakes? I, think she, I mean, I would feel perfectly comfortable with her making that mistake over yeah. and over again for the rest of her life. Because I actually think that she really owns her desires in this book. Oh, definitely. I think she owns her sexuality and like recognizes that it's okay to like hate someone and still want to have sex with them and get and get something out of it in a really particular way. And even though that is sort of like not a, like like technically like bad sex like she's still sort of you know she still wants it like she still sort of enjoys it um even though she doesn't want him him, right uh so I don't I don't know I hope that she I just wanted her to be really unapologetic about that part of her life like I felt like it was really you know I I mean this whole character exists because I wanted to see what it looked like you know I wanted and I wanted to see a character who just made no excuses about what her desires were feels really important to me same with my last book yeah. Like I'm getting I'm just approaching that. I just think that you have to you have to write what you want to see or you want to explore. And I think sometimes she has there it reminded me of when my stepsister like first got married and then had a baby and there was this idea, this kind of society idea that I was supposed to be jealous or have these darker feelings. Right, and you were like I don't care. No, and I was right. like I don't there was a minute where I kind of was like and then I was like, wait, I don't think they're my feelings. I actually am just happy for her. Yes. Like this isn't her experience of life actually isn't about me. And that felt like I grew up a bit and went, I don't have to have the feelings that I'm meant 
to have. And yeah, who yeah. says this? Yeah, you have to shut out like the lessons that we are taught by culture, basically. Right. Or, you know, probably our family members and friends too, to a certain extent. But really, they're, we're all learning it from like movies that we see that have, you know, just, just the fact that there's like these really traditional Hollywood endings where um, I always think about John Hughes movies, which I loved when I was growing up like so much. And I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, which is where they're all set. And I just, like, I, I adored them, but always at the end of these movies, it was, you know, he created these, like, quirky, feminist-ish characters with their pixie haircuts, but at the end, they still have to sit on the, you know, table with Jake Meyer with the birthday cake. Yeah. And, like, and that's the only, that's the true happy ending to it. Well, and then, really, what your book does is that it continues the film. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought was so interesting about it, particularly her friendship, friendship with Indigo, who, um, you know, is the seemingly, like the kind of open-hearted friend that has just married a hedge fund guy Mm. and, um, you know, usually, and she's pregnant and usually that's where the story ends and you're like, oh, that friend that it all worked out for. But you continue the story and can you talk a bit about how fun it was to write that no. friendship and maybe explain the dynamic a bit because it was one of my absolute favorites and I was like, see, we're all, <laughs> we're, we all get a stage. That was like the first, so, you know, the way, the way that I wrote the book was I wrote those, you know, that story cycle um, and I don't want to give away what happens, but uh, the very first one is Indigo getting married um, and I worked out like all these feelings that I had, even though Indigo is not somebody that I know, but just that feeling of watching a friend um, get married and, and have it all and then, you know, and then status update it on Facebook and you are not doing any of those things and you're, and you're like, oh, but was I supposed to do? I've, my whole life I feel like I've just been watching people do all the things they're supposed to do and just and then be like, oh, was I? I did, did not do that <laughs> at all. I did something totally different. So um, that feeling of watching your friend um, achieve those very traditional life goals and then expecting them to... I think when I was in my 20s, like late 20s, I'm 45 now, like people started getting married in late 20s, early 30s, because this is New York, so it's like a little bit later than the rest of the country slash world. Um, and, and then I, and I still knew those people. And then, and then once people started having babies, they just have a different schedule and a different life and you sort of, you know, drift away from each other. So I wanted to write about that and have a character experience that and feel that and, and st- but yet still love that person right? Like they still, like, like your friendship doesn't, your love for each other doesn't die necessarily, or it shouldn't die just because your schedules don't, and lifestyles don't match it anymore. Um, I also just really loved Indigo because I'm just very, I'm just extremely fascinated with women who are yoga instructors, but live in massive lofts in Tribeca. <laughs> and I'm always like, how? I know you're not making that much as a yoga instructor. And then all of a sudden you meet their husbands and you're like, that's how, you know, that's what it is. I mean, I don't know, maybe you could make a lot of money as a yoga instructor, but, but I love that like Tribeca dy- dynamic, you know, of the, of, of the, um, the incredibly wealthy hedge fund who marries the beautiful yoga instructor. And then they're your, they're your gorgeous friend who you love. Yeah. And they sit there and say, this is another line in the book I love so much is like, you'll be fine. You don't They're trying to be the best friend they can be, yeah. you know, when you meet up for a drink and talk about your lives and like, you don't need a man to define you like right. at all. Then you go, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like if, I just don't know how you are saying this to me right now. And I know you mean it so earnestly. Right. But you're going to walk home. Yeah, you're going to walk home to your, (laughs) like, huge, beautiful house. And I am going to go home to my little apartment and have, like, tuna out of a can, which is also okay. Yeah, yeah. But the support, like, they're trying to be supportive and you're just trying to figure out how to, like move beyond that and get and get to the the next place and I think that they ultimately do figure out how that they can be friends for each other or like find that find that that intersection where it's not about the stages of your life anymore but just more about like how how we connect and how we can be good to each other yeah and I'm just thinking of friendships that I have is that we we do have different stages and the most nourishing relationships, which I think you capture so well, are with our female friends mm. and with our family. And that actually 
those are the bonds that if you keep them strong, they help you. I mean, obviously, I'm not, this is not like something new. So yeah. Thanks, Angie, for your insight. <laughs> this is very deep. Yeah, very I think deep. We're doing like talk radio, like a little like. Yeah, yeah. Advice of Angie. Yeah, <laughs> guys, just go and see that friend. Um, another really interesting dynamic, though, was losing a mentor. Like a lot of, I think we talk a lot now about we've kind of acknowledged like the friend breakup and how devastating that can be. Mm. But in but here you acknowledge a mentor breakup. Mm-hmm. Why was that dynamic really interesting to explore for you? I just think it's a female mentor, not a male mentor, um, which is a different dynamic, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, And I even think men to men is different than women to women, obviously. (laughs) Anyway, um, but um, I think I I just wanted like to show how I think how so weird. You're asking this question. I'm like, I don't really have an answer for it. I really wanted to show how women could kind of support each other. Um, or not support each other, and sometimes how, like, there can be jealousies between women. Um, I mean, I think overall, like, this book is really positive about female relationships, and there's just a really strong female energy to it, but also I wanted to show some of the quirks to it as well. And I think that sometimes there's, like, an older woman, younger woman dynamic that can be complicated or fraught, and um, I don't know, it was interesting to explore it. I definitely identified with this idea of wanting to be someone, like finding someone who's further ahead in their career than you Mm. or almost has the career in life you want and wanting to be them, not just learn from them. Yes. But like if I, I remember I had a mentor and then I loved this painting teacher I had who basically I either wanted to like explore if I was a lesbian with her, even though I'm not, but I think it was more that if I could just like step inside of her and take her life, then I'd be happy. Yeah which obviously isn't real. Right. Yeah, I, um, I think especially when we're, I mean, this happens when um, Andrea, the character, or the, the narrator is much younger. So she's in her 20s when it happens and she has this mentor, I think is, I can't remember how old she is in the book, but probably like in her 40s. Um, and she, um, I mean, she wants everything about her life. She definitely wants, you know, wants to become her, but knows it'll take, she d- recognizes it's going to take a long time to get there and so she's quite she's quite ready to be patient and sit but almost as it's as if this mentor is just moving at the speed of light like you either are on the train or you're not you know like get you know you have to go for that ride so uh yeah it was um yeah it was I think I still have to unpack my feelings about that chapter for sure well another relationship which isn't exactly a mentor mentee one is Andrea has a co-worker Nina and Nina's younger and it's one of, I love this scene in the book when she's, you know, um, been preparing for this big presentation and Andrea knows she's been preparing and she's been helping her and then Nina comes in on the day in one of those like Herve Leger or like style, you know, band-aid wrap, bandaged purple dresses and her hair's blown out and it's kind of that moment as an old, like slightly older person being like, holy shit, that's <laughs> so inappropriate. But you look beautiful. Yeah, she looks good. Yeah. I enjoyed, Nina is another character that I have endless scenes that I wrote uh, of dialogue between her and Andrea. Because I was just, I just loved the two of them together. Like there's like, I wrote like pages and pages of Andrea and Nina talking about all the drugs that they've done in their lives. And like basically they're the same drugs, but they all have like different, Names, names now. now, right? Yeah, um, and so like they're just sort of checking in to see which drug is which now. Um, yeah, and and like I like the idea that you could read the book, and even though that scene isn't in the book, that you could sort of like imagine Feel that it. that had, mm-hmm. yeah, like that they've just had the like these you know shoot the shit kind of moments, and they and they recognize like a kin in a way kind of a kindred spirit or a spark, right? They both have they both are pretty sparky. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed writing Nina a lot. I feel like I could write a lot more about her, too. Because um, I don't, I mean, I'm, I wasn't her, for sure, when I was in my 20s, because she has her shit together way more than I do, and I would never have worn that dress or gotten my hair blown out. I was too much of a hippie back when I was in my 20s. But, um, but I see her, but she's a very New York creation, right, this young, ambitious woman in her 20s who's just willing to do whatever, but is also just, like, world-weary, 
That's it. There's and this. the age of, yeah. But I love those girls because they too. like teach me everything because well, I don't know anything. <laughs> I kind of was struck like Andrew's in the book when you're kind of impressed by your younger friend at their yeah. maturity. Like there was, there's a line, there's a line where Nina says to Andrea when they're having a drink at the bar after this presentation and she says, I don't care if anyone sexualizes me as long as they remember me. Mm, And I don't trust anyone anyway. And it just was like, whoa. Like, she's not even naive and kind of dressing up thinking it's inappropriate. She's fully aware. For sure, yeah. People know more than I did when I was that age. Yeah. Um, And and she's a badass and she's probably going to run every company that she wants to run. Yeah, like... In t- 10 years, she's going to be running the show. Yeah, she's such a cool... St- to me, she's like a really... Even though she's flawed, everybody's flawed, but like um, she's a really cool, super strong character. Like I, I wanted her to kick ass. kind. Of, you know, like I wanted her to be um, as bold as she wanted to be. When in your life was there a point that you decided to shake things up? Like I know that you now live in between Brooklyn and New Orleans and was that a choice to was Brooklyn becoming too claustrophobic for you or was it that your writing life really flourished having both places well I love it in New Orleans and I was going down there every winter for the last five years and I really started to build a community like a great community of people down there and I would leave and I would miss it like I would miss a lover or something you know and um and Brooklyn obviously has changed, and it's also just, it was really, all my money was going into living in Brooklyn. Like, that was, I was... Wait, more, you didn't have this apartment yeah. that she has that's rent-stabilized? I did not have a hedge fund. I mean, it is, um, yeah, just life here is just incredibly expensive. And I, I was, you know, in my 40s, and I was like, where am I going to be in my 50s, which feels like the craziest thing in the world now just to eat still I'm like 50 just feels old to me although I know it's not that old <laughs> I'm sure 50 is the new something but um I just wanted a uh I don't know I wanted to know what my what I what my what's next mm. was because that's kind of a repeated line in the book where she thinks that she keeps thinking about what's next for her and for me um buying I bought a really small house there and um I live very happily there, and I'm much quieter and calmer. Mm. And when I come back here, and I, like I'll be here in the summer um, for a couple of months, and I find that I'm just sort of re- really ready to go. But it's really, it is like the coolest place on earth here. It really still is. Like it's still really fun, and I love the energy of the streets. I mean, all everything I'm going to say is such a cliche, but it is a very cool place to live. Brooklyn is very cool. People are doing really interesting things here. Um, You know, watching from New Orleans, the protests that have been happening in New York basically every day, it seems like, since he's gotten elected. I mean, that's just how it feels. You know, we, like, it's a a smaller city. There's 400,000 people, and um, it's, uh, we have had some activists, we do have some activism there. Um, but here it's been just like an incredible model and really inspiring to see. And, and I'm like, only New York could just, I didn't, I was talking to somebody who, uh, somebody who interviewed me, a younger woman. And she, I said, all the protests look really great. She said, I got to up my sign game. I got to get better signs. Oh, that's Yeah. I got to get better signs going. And I was like, I love New York. I love it. They're all just like competing over over their protest signs. signs. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. I love that there is this theme of the what's next. And I think everyone who reads it will kind of ask themselves that, whether they are married with a kid or single. How did you sit with that what's next for yourself? I'm, I'm really asking as like a therapist right now, or okay. like real advice as a, to a like woman to woman about what, when you're struggling with what, how to make a decision or, yeah, yeah. or trying to work out like where where am I happy and what because she's doing this throughout and that's why I think I connected with it so much and I've said to so many people no matter what stage you're at this book will help guide you a bit or like make you ask yourself some questions so I'm kind of all it's all mushed up in there now and I'm trying to process it but I have you here and I'm like Jamie (laughs) well I I will say that I'm lucky because I because what I do for a living is right. It's it's constantly forcing me to assess um, 
I'm, I'm putting pen to paper every day, right? So I'm, it's, it's assessing where I'm at as much as where my characters are at mm-hmm. in my life. So that's part of it. Um, I'm, I would say that, like, just at some point, um, I hit... I, I recognized that I was going through the same cycles over and over again and that I needed to break those cycles. I, um, and I don't even mean that to sound like dangerous yeah, or anything yeah. like that, but I was like, I've done this a million times and I don't want to do it anymore. I gave myself a, a lot of permission to just do what I wanted to do. Like, I think that probably earlier in my life, I was a little bit more, I didn't, I never wanted to get married. I, but I, like the idea of partnering up with somebody is, you know, sort of existed in my mind. But I think once I gave myself permission to just really pursue my art, then it was just, it was really freeing. I, I, there was just a moment where I, I decided, um, I mean, I just, where I was all in really. And it was, I, I mean, I, this is, I'm always like, should I tell this story? Cause it's such a personal story, but um, it, you did ask, I guess. I had this moment where I was really broke and it was before my fourth book came out and I had been couch surfing, and I've written about this before, so that's not really like a surprise. Um, and it, it, my family was really worried about what I was doing with my life because they're like, you're almost 40, you've written three books, but you're still broke. And I was also very much in debt, and all of that was going on. <clears throat> and, um, and I wrote a letter to my family because I didn't want them to worry about me anymore. Mm. And I, it was like, at that moment, it was like a declaration of independence, in a way, and like a state of the union of my life. And oh my it was I'm very... I'm going to cry because I feel like I need to do this. It was very... Yeah, and it was very... I know, I should probably write this. I've just never written about it before, but... Um, and I don't even know if I could find that letter now, but it was just like, I love you, I appreciate you, and, I, and that you are concerned about what I'm doing. I accept that I may never make money. I accept that I may never achieve certain things in my life, but I also accept that I'm an artist and these are the things that I want to do. And I need you to accept it too. And then I know now I'm getting upset. I'm looking at you too because like, you have tears in your eyes. Um, and then they, everybody wrote me back and was like, yes, I love you. So, it's good. so it was good because I I'm, I'm feel certain that that is that exact moment that I went, I'm going to take this step forward no matter what happens. And then luckily, my books ended up doing better. <laughs> um, but I didn't know that that was going to happen. But I just, had, I just had to accept that thing about myself. Yeah. It gives you a freedom. I definitely think that carrying the worry of the people that love you yes. is real. But, and they can't help it. But I've often said to my mom, she's like, why are you there struggling? It seems so hard. you know. But I say, mom... Last time I was home, I had to go, Mom, I must love the struggle. Right. Like, I'm learning. You're there. I'm, I'm, I do love it. Like, to have found something and to get access to these beautiful human beings, I won't, this is what I was meant to do or be here for myself. Like, whether anyone else thinks that's a great idea or not. But I think... Even just emailing my stepbrother, who's, you know, a banker and does, loves his job and, you know, but saying, I think I have to accept that my choices have led me here, but I actually love where I'm at, but it's really difficult because it doesn't afford stability, which is also something that, you know, we all crave. Right. Well, and so you do, and you're going to do it, and, and, and then also, like, recognize that, like, other option, opportunities may pop up because of it, and you just, it has to be sort of very natural and organic following that, following that path. That's how it was for me. Yeah. And, I, and, and just trusting yourself that you're making the right decision, and that you're doing it out of, like, a place of, like, intellectual curiosity and passion and, and, and love for, you know, the people and the material and all of those kinds of things are, are going to, I think, are going to lead you in the right direction I, I believe that um, and I will say also just um, writing that letter right like what is one thing but like I again like I have the I'm lucky because I feel like every book I write is a letter to myself so I'm just in this constant state of analysis which is why we're all narcissists writers really because we're all just like, <laughs> even if it's not us but we still have to have an opinion on the subject in order to write about it 
So it, you know, whatever the top, so what does adulthood mean? Her adulthood is different than my adulthood is different than your adulthood, but I needed to know what it meant um, or try, or like a, somewhat understood what it meant um, in order to write this book. So it's helped. I feel like I've grown up a lot in the last five years, probably, for sure. Well, it definitely feels that there's this character and then there's you, right? But then, and through all your characters, you get to live a piece of their lives and all the time. I mean, every book I read, like this book, we can't help but reflect it back onto ourselves. It's like when we go to a wedding, we're like, well, where am I? Am I doing it? When we go to a christening or a friend has a baby, I mean, that's a really narcissistic thing that Mm. it's always like bounced back about you. And the best thing is, is when it's just not at all. And you can have the freedom to just totally (laughs) be like, I am like rocking out and I'm just loving where I'm at. And I think we can do that when we've kind of um, like dislodged some of that. Yeah. Like holding on to things. I mean, I like. I think some t- at some point in my thirties, I stopped going to friends' weddings. Like, I just was like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm not really having a good time. Um, I'm spending a lot of money to go to like a city that I don't have a connection to, or whatever, you know. And it was always felt like this huge investment that I I was not bringing the right energy to it. And now I can totally go to weddings and bring the right energy to it and just be really happy. It might have been because I didn't. Um, necessarily always like think that the right people were getting married or something like that too like weddings, I've had resistance and, to weddings, weddings where I'm like I don't know th- if they're if they're okay we- younger together. weddings are different than older weddings like my friends who get married in their late th- 30s and early 40s like they've like either it's a second marriage or they've waited a really long time and and so it's been it's easier for me to get behind that because I've seen the, these relationships evolve as opposed to that the people who get married because they're like you know, dated for 1.5 years, and now it's, like, the thing that it's you're supposed time. to... Yeah, it's the thing you're supposed to do, so... And then, and also, like, um, I'm way more tolerant for children now, too. Like, I have a godchild now, and I just... I've seen her a couple times in the last few weeks, and she's, like... The best. The most fun, and I don't feel like I need to hand her back to her mother all the time, although it's nice to know that I can. can. <laughs> yeah. One, one scene in the book I don't want to miss talking about, because it applies to marriage is when she's talking to a man or this idea that whenever a woman who actually really doesn't want to get married says that to a man like I actually really don't want to get married yeah they can't accept that like where has that happened over and over like do you find yourself in arguments and then you it descends into an argument and it just reminded me of this idea that why won't men listen to the exact words we're saying yeah and take them as fact oh i don't know (laughs) why is that (laughs) um i don't know and i and i'll and yet at the same time when women always like make excuses for men where they say oh he said this but i really think that he meant that i don't know i think we're not really good at communicating with each other for the most for the most part but also men are like you know they they put up the shields it's bullying, you know, in a way, you know, when people, when men do that, where they don't listen to you or don't, or they think that they know more than you. And am I going to, you know, it's my second area of the day. And am I going to have to talk about the patriarchy again? Cause I'll do it. <laughs> you can <laughs> no, go there. But you know, I think that that's, yeah, I think that they, it makes them feel safe to put you in your place. Well, and one more topic that I don't want to leave without us touching on, because I think it'll come up about the book. Mm. and I'm so glad you just went there, but it was so subtle, was it's in this discussion that she's having with Nina after this um, presentation and how after a drink, or not even after a drink, like sometimes after a coffee with a friend, if you share one story of like a near-rape experience or a rape experience, Mm. everyone has one to share. Mm. And the shocking nature of this... I don't know anyone who hasn't had some sort of, you know, not if they were raped, but just some sort of, um, and I don't, uh, I've actually had like a friend who's a novelist who's a man, um, um, although uh, I don't mean that in like a capital M male writer kind of way. He read my book and his one note to me was that he did not, he felt like I should have changed. He didn't feel comfortable with that section at all. and I said I felt like it was true to like how women talk to each other and like what 
this character feels about this subject matter, which is like not necessarily exactly the same as I feel about yeah. the subject matter, but I'm, it doesn't matter because that's yeah, what she her. thinks. And it's also like an interesting idea to put out there in the, in the universe, which is just kind of like it's all the same. Like any level of assault is sort of the same because you've been assault, assaulted. Like something has, something has chipped away at you, right? And we yeah. all have to recover from it whether it's just getting grabbed on the subway, you know, or, you know, I mean, there's just so many levels to it, but at the same time, it's important to recognize that it is assault. And I was writing this book, like, during the election, right? So I finished it last June, and, and I, like, rape culture just kept coming up over and over again, and the way that our, um, you know, the way that men talk about women and treat women, and... Um, I just thought it was really important to write about. It wasn't a, something I wanted to center no. the book around, but I wanted two characters to have a conversation about it. It felt perfect for me. It felt exactly like, I mean, your writer friend has his opinion and that's fine because he's a man and yeah. probably hasn't had that. But when I read it, I just, it hit, it was so perfectly subtle because it was subtle in the way that what happens to women is subtle and just pervasive like I was I think I was reading your book on the subway and I got up and I was like it's a good day like I'm getting to read a book I am you know I'm gonna smile and be out there and just you know walk along with my head held high and I smiled at a gentleman on the street and that smile turned into a like mm. oh no like that thing and I was like are you serious I was just having my like it's a good world moment and I thought man you know yeah can't we and that's not all men but it is an experience that it's really is just kind experience. of yeah. internalized to the point where you go well why be open right. yes and I would say that that is one of the things that I love living love about living in New Orleans is that everybody says hi to each other on the street and uh, and we all make eye contact with each other and I don't have the ever have the expectation that anybody's hitting on me like I think we're all just being friendly and I I'm from the Midwest originally which is a very friendly place you're from a friendly place also yeah, yeah. Um, and then to move here you sort of especially like after like 18 years of living here you um, you develop a mask or you kind of you kind of shut it down and that's not really who I am and then until now I think that that also was part of a life shift for me is to go back go back to a place where um where I'm allowed to be more present and connected with my, the world around me and not just to not like... Not in protection kind of, mode. Yeah, yes. I feel, um, even though it's a much more dangerous city, <laughs> in a way I feel safer, at least emotionally safer there. Yeah. And this book, I heard you, I think, on NPR and I heard that it was a very swift process. So she just, she just flew out of you, this character? Yeah, uh, once I like, I mean, I made this list of all the things I wanted to have her talk about, and then it became really easy to just check those things off of the list. And I uh, knew her voice, and um, and I would say that her sense of humor isn't that different from my sense of humor. My mother read it and was kind of like, oh, it sounds, it sound, she's like, it's not you at all, but it sounds like you. So I didn't have to, you know, my novel before this was a historical mm -hmm. fiction. So I had an event like, a whole way of talking and um, and hold it up against hold it up against like books of the era and movies of the era and make sure that I was historically correct. And with this, it was really easy to just like slip into a colloquial New York woman, um, creative person voice. It was almost a relief in a way to not have to to, to not have to um, work as work and against it. Uh, and and so yeah, probably that was part of it. And I don't know. I just had a lot to say. A lot to say, and then I found this character who could just, you know, explore these things, and um, and she felt like just somebody who like lived in my neighborhood, yeah. And just I was like, you, what are you going to talk about? And then she just talked. She just talked. She just talked. Before we finish, the obsession she has with the actress in the so she lives in this building, and of course she has the rent stabilized apartment and. I was just, I don't know why I imagined it in Dumbo. This this apartment for me was there kind of on that waterfront. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the apartments in the building are being done up and rented for these exorbitant amounts of money. And this beautiful actress who she recognises moves in. And I don't want to say too much, but I, I, this obsession was familiar to me. Like this idea that you see someone who's famous often and you think you could become friends because you just smile and then... Who I don't was know. that for you? Do you have somebody that you used to see? In L.A., in Venice, I used to see... I saw Reese Witherspoon oh, yeah. a bit. And what made it not worse or better was that my mom had this idea that we would be really good friends. So she kept asking you about Yeah, Reese. mom. And I would be like, oh, mom, I saw her at like the Brentwood, you know, thing. And mom was like, I just really think that you guys would hit it off. That's funny. And I'd go, I'd go, maybe, mom, but that's not it. I mean, and I wasn't that close to... But one had that we, happened to you? No. Um, no. One summer we did have, um, for, I think maybe for like a month, we had Bill Murray living in our apartment building. And that was like, I would not even presume that Bill Murray would want to be friends with me. But like everybody would talk, like every, everyone would have one interaction with him a day and um, see, him in the, see him in the elevator. And, um, and somebody would be like, he helped me carry my garbage out. <gasps> yeah, or like, yeah. you know, he held the door for me, like, you know, in the elevator or something like that. Everyone had a Bill Murray story, but nobody was like, you can't really get obsessed with Bill Murray because he is just Bill Murray. Like there's no, you already know who he is kind of. Um, although I'm sure he's a mystery and has yes, a mask yes, as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, but I, I think it was like a little bit about celebrity culture and wanting people to, um, wanting to be seen and recognizing how other people want to be seen. That was, that was what that was about. And then having it, and then there was sort of an epiphany in that um, chapter for the character as well. Yeah, I love that one, which yeah. we'll keep secret. Okay. <laughs> just because yeah. we can't give it away. But I, I had a meeting recently um, at like a, one of those big agencies that's quite intense and was just getting advice from someone. And you know when she just looked at me and she was like, who are you? Who are you? Oh, my God. Like, what? And I, at the same time, I was like, I'm not a brand, or you know, all these <laughs> things. But she nailed it. Like, she really had kind of looked at things and she just What was she your said, brand? What did she say? Ooh, she so said, you have to work out. She was like, what do you want to say? Where are your opinions on things? You are this, she go, you know, it was X. She goes, you allow these people you admire to have their platform. And I'm like, yes, that's, I love them. And she goes, that's great. But why don't you have opinions of your own? And it just, and I started to cry. Oh, no. <laughs> it was one of those But you things. do have opinions. I do have opinions. Yeah. But they're kind of softly masked. They're not really forthright or developed maybe in some way. I mean, I, I, I do have opinions, but I think she kind of saw in me this want and need to be something else mm -hmm. in terms of the art or the creative process that I have been afraid of following I'm, through on. Honestly, if you would like some of my opinions, because I have like a million of them, okay. so you can just have, you can borrow some if you want. Um, I, yeah, you're, you're like right, you're probably just like right on the, cusp of figuring it out it seems like that's what I think yeah you're like just because that's you're, you're taking not in to all make, these ideas I'm taking it yeah. in but not to make this about my like what do you think I should do but there was there was a very powerful moment in the, the book for me of going oh like how we want to be seen in some way mm. you know and how is that and why is that need there how public do you want that to be or is it private just all these questions Especially now, I think, with social media, we have to ask ourselves, like, which, what are your boundaries? Like, do you have boundaries for yourself that you kind of have to think about or it's not like with that? social media? Or yeah, or like what you're willing yeah, to say. You know, when I was younger, I used to write more about my love life and I don't do that anymore. Like, it's very, very rare mm -hmm. that I'm going to, like, talk about what's, what you know, what's going on with that. Um, and because uh, I just, I don't think it's, like, really anybody's business I've, I can I mean I really think I just um you know I like to write about talk about writing and I like to talk about politics and I like to talk about 
my friends and I, you know, things that I have fat passion about, I'm, I'm interested in doing. But now I really just want to be entertaining to like help people take their minds off of like what's going on. But it's, a, and also just, it's a great, I mean, I feel like I'm, you know, an activist too. I feel what's amazing is like everybody is an activist right now. Mm-hmm. So there's so, there's just, there's so many possibilities in social media. It is crazy making too, obviously, but uh, I'm trying to use it for its power and not get overwhelmed by it. Overwhelmed by it. Well, I think this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. And also, I just think for everyone, the book will hit you in places that maybe feel scary, but it's like you work through this stuff with this book, and it's incredible. Uh, So I really recommend it to everyone. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much. For more about this interview and about Lit Up in general, visit us at thelitupshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lit Up Show. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Great listeners are great learners, right? Well, hear this. Zookal has the cheapest textbooks with up to 70% off. You can even rent them. With a lowest price guarantee and free delivery for orders over 50 bucks, the only question is, what are you waiting for? Apart from the end of your podcast. From Shakespeare to marketing to essay writing to video production and everything in between, check out Zookal. Use the code ZOOKALPODCAST for five bucks off. Zookal.com.au When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.